Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet Welcome is on the phone. Episode Podcast. It is Thursday, June 10th, 2021, people. First of all, before we get into today's show, I do hope that you enjoyed Wednesday's bonus episode with Animal Planet's Forrest Galante. I know it was different. I know it wasn't sports, but we have done some non-sports stuff in the past. Obviously, we had Sylvia Corkle from Tiger King on this show. For people who have been listening for a long time during the Tiger King craze last year, we had Murphy and Pena, the original Narcos guys back in the day captured Pablo Escobar I bring it all up to say Galante was different but he was a lot of fun I will tell you this he really enjoyed the show he actually did tell me he's got a shark week special coming on Animal Planet here in the coming months and would love to come back on so thank you guys for your support thank you for your interest today back to sports and we're jumping all over the place so here's what you need to know about today's show we are going to open with this very quickly evolving college football playoff expansion story it appears as though expansion is eminent but maybe not to the number that you think we may be going to more teams than even most people were anticipating from there quick commercial break quick advertisement we will get to the pangos all-american camp so i was one of uh several writers at the pangos all-american camp if you're a kentucky sports radio person jack pilgrim zach gagon were both there they crushed their coverage i was able to get it on tuesday and uh you know want to share a few thoughts on what was actually for people who don't know the Pangos All-American Camp. It is one of the best high school basketball events in the country. All the top players. I'm going to tell you what I heard, what I found interesting, all that good stuff. Then what we'll do, I am going to go throw to another awesome guest and another very different guest, okay? So I mentioned it on Monday's show, but your boy has come down with a little bit of college baseball fever, okay? We just got through the regional portion of the NCAA tournament, and we are on to the super regionals, where eight teams will play, or excuse me, 16 teams, eight series, three games apiece, 
Basically, we will get to eight teams that will head to the College World Series next week. And Phil Elson, who is the voice of Arkansas Razorbacks baseball, the number one team in the country, he joins the Aaron Torres podcast, really good friend of mine. Phil and I talk about all sorts of things. You don't have to be a college baseball fan to appreciate it. Basically, what is it like to walk into these major stadiums in the SEC? Why is the SEC so good? How did Tennessee and how did Tennessee specifically get good this year? How is Vanderbilt so good? A lot of different stuff. It's not just an Arkansas interview. I think you'll enjoy it. But with that said, before we get to my college baseball fever and my Pangos All-America camp, let's get into the topic of the day where college football playoff expansion is coming, people. And it's really interesting because about two, three, four weeks ago, whatever, I actually hit on this topic because what we found out was that basically all the power brokers in college, uh, college football, excuse me, the ADs, uh, the AD of Notre Dame, the, the school presidents, and of course the conference commissioners had all met and they were all just kind of throwing out ideas on what could be potentially the next step in the evolution of the college football playoff. I bring it up to say that we have some clarification on what the college football playoff might look like here in a couple years and get ready for this. I think we all thought that it's inevitable that the college football playoff was going to expand, but when it did, it was going to go from four teams to six, maybe eight. But according to Pete Thamel, Yahoo, the leader in the clubhouse for college football playoff expansion is to eventually get to 12 teams in the college football playoff, 12 teams per Pete Thamel. And let me just say this. I don't like it. I don't care for the number. I'm going to get into it in a minute. I am not a fan of the 12 teams, and I should mention, according to Pete Thamel, it would not happen in the 2021 season, 2022. We are talking the 2023 season, which would then lead into the 2024 bowl season before it would ever be enacted, so we would have at least two more years of the 14 playoff before we get to 12. Before I get to why, so, so let's get into it. Okay, let's get into it. I'm tripping all over myself. I got college baseball fever over here. I got a, I'm running a temperature, but I want to stick with the college college football playoff stuff for a minute. So essentially, what let, let, me, let me break this down into two different parts. In a minute, I am going to get into why I am not a fan of the 12-team college football playoff. Before I do, let me say this, though. Anyone who is a longtime listener of the Aaron Torres podcast knows that my opinion on college football playoff expansion in general has changed over the last couple years. And if you're a longtime listener to the show, you know that I'm basically one of the few people that says, hey, this four-team college football playoff is working. And it sucks. To be clear, I understand. It sucks if you're a Tennessee fan, if you're uh, a Kentucky fan, if you're a, frankly, any team in the Pac-12, any team in the ACC besides Clemson. But what I have essentially said about college football expansion is I am not an advocate of expanding it because to me, if you expand it, what I want to see is teams that can actually win the championship. And that was always my biggest argument against college football playoff expansion. There, are, there is never a year where there is a team that is good enough to win the championship that is being left out, okay? You go back to the BCS era, it felt like every single year. We, we, we might know who number one was, but very rarely did we definitively know who number two was. Sometimes it felt like the best team got left out. Sometimes it felt like the best team wasn't involved. I remember Auburn in 2004 with Tommy Tuberville, Cadillac Williams, Ronnie Brown. Remember those days? 
they got left out as Oklahoma and USC played for the national championship. Uh, a few years later, if you remember, Florida played Oklahoma with Tim Tebow for the national championship. A lot of people thought USC was the best team that year. So I bring it all up to say in the BCS era, it did feel like sometimes we left out teams that were good enough to win the championship. In the college football playoff era, though, there is no one that can legitimately claim that they were good enough to win a championship that got left out. The closest I can come up with is the second year of the playoff. If you remember year one, Ohio State wins it. They dominate. They bring back their whole team, Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, JT Barrett, whoever. Um, and they weren't right all year. They got good at the end of the year, but they already had a loss. Maybe that's the closest team that got left out of the college football playoff that was good enough to win it. But I only bring it up to say that in general, when you look back on the history of the college football playoff, there aren't teams that are being left out that are good enough to win the title. And so my stance has always been kind of simple. Why are we going to add more teams just to get to an inevitable result? I don't need to see Alabama beat the third best team from the Big Ten or the second best team from the ACC or some team that's 7-4 and four from the Pac-12 that happened to win the Pac-12 championship game. I don't need to see Alabama beat another team by 30 to know they're the best team in the country. We can't even get competitive semifinal games. Now you're going to add another layer to the playoff. So that has always been my stance. But I will say in the last year, I do think my stance on the college football playoff has evolved and I am in favor of limited expansion. And let me explain why. There's two reasons and there's two very important reasons. The first thing is recruiting in college football has completely changed over the last five, six, seven years. It has hurt the sport. And as a byproduct, we are getting the same teams in the college football playoff anymore. Okay. So basically what I just did was I gave you the reason behind the problem first. The problem that college football has right now is every single year, it's Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. Oklahoma's right on the cusp, Georgia's right on the cusp, and then there's pretty much a big gap with everybody else. Now, can an LSU jump up in any given year? Of course. Can a uh, you know Notre Dame in a given year step up? Of course. But in general, the gap between the top of the sport and even the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th best teams in the country, it's expanding every year. Why is that happening? It is because college football recruiting has become national as opposed to regional. What do I mean by that? What I mean is essentially college football has a chicken and an egg problem. And college football's chicken and egg problem is this. You need really good players to compete at the highest level of college football. The problem is now, now that we are six, seven years into the playoff, all the good players want to go to one, two, three programs because they know that's the only chance that they have to get on that stage. So let me just explain it to you in the simplest form. Think about college football going into next year. First of all, I told you on Monday's episode, right now I can tell you pretty much definitively four of the, uh, of the, of the, five, of the four playoff spots, I believe at least three are already punched among four teams. I believe Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma, at least three of those teams will make the college football playoff, maybe all four, okay? But why is that happening? It is because college football recruiting has become national and now the best players aren't staying in their part of the country they're not spread out they're going to the best programs don't believe me let's take a look Alabama going to enter the season reigning national champion potential number one team in the country you know who their quarterback is Bryce Young you know where he's from the town I'm sitting in right now Pasadena California could have gone to USC probably would have it's a little bit of a BS narrative but could have gone to USC ends up at Alabama instead of staying in the Pac-12 footprint DJ Uilaganlele, 
the quarterback at Clemson. He stepped in for Trevor Lawrence last year. You know where he's from? California. Georgia, starting quarterback, JT Daniels. You know where he's from? California. Now, I understand that it's a little bit of a, of a you know, again, a BS narrative with JT Daniels because he did start his career at USC, but he transferred. And then finally, Oklahoma, Spencer Rattler. You know where he's from? Arizona. So think about that. Of the five true contenders going into college football next year, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Georgia, four of those teams have quarterbacks who are from the Pac-12 footprint. I'm not saying all four should have stayed. One of them was here and had to transfer out. What I am saying is it is clear that there is a loss of talent in the Pac-12 footprint to these major programs. On top of that, don't forget, I've said it before, Ohio State's best wide receiver, Chris Olave. Where's he from? San Diego. LSU's number two corner who will be in the NFL. Where's he from? California. Uh, uh, Clemson has a wide receiver, Joseph Ngata, from California. And so what I'm saying is, I'm not saying this should be a participation trophy for the Pac-12. I'm not saying that we should just let them in because we feel bad for them. But I do think the way the college football playoff is set up, where it's only these two, three, four teams that are getting in, all these West Coast kids are looking around saying, man, if I don't leave the West Coast, I will not play in the college football playoff. I will not be proper. I will not get proper exposure and I will not get, frankly, the credit that I deserve. And so when I look at the college, the idea of college football playoff expansion, this is reason number one. I should mention it's not just the Pac-12 footprint. Ohio State's second best wide receiver last year. Some would say the best wide receiver. One was Chris Olave from San Diego. You know who number two was? Garrett Wilson from Texas. On top of that, you know where a bunch of Alabama's best recruits came from this year? They had two offensive tack or two offensive linemen uh, ranked at the top of the class from Texas. Um, you know, you go on and on down the list. Guys in the Big 12 footprint are now going to Alabama, to Ohio State. Baron Browning, their top wide or their top uh, linebacker from the Big 12 footprint. And so again. I'm not saying that this has to be a participation trophy for the, the every team in the Big 12 besides Oklahoma or the Pac-12, but what I am saying is this. The reason I am in favor of expansion is pretty simple. It is because of the fact that it now makes it a little bit more likely that we flatten the curve in college football in recruiting. Why is that? It's because now Oregon can go into a kid's home. USC can go into a kid's home. Texas can go into a kid's home. Baylor can go into a kid's home. North Carolina, even if you will, can go into a kid's home and say, you know what? You don't just have to go to Clemson. You don't just have to go to Ohio State. You're a SoCal kid. Come to Southern California. You're going to have a chance to compete for a playoff berth. And if we get in the playoff, let's show those punks from Ohio State or Clemson or Alabama where the real football is played. I'm not, again, I hope you guys understand. I'm not saying that like we should feel bad for the Pac-12, but what I am saying is I do think college football playoff expansion it will not it will lead to a more of a spreading out of the talent where we won't get the same two, three, four teams in the college football playoff every year. And by the way, this shouldn't just matter for Pac-12 fans. This should matter for a Florida fan, for a Texas A&M fan for an LSU fan that is trying to rise up the, that, those SEC rankings and consistently compete with Alabama, Georgia. I do think if we flatten the curve a little bit, in flatten the curve, not, not, not the appropriate time for flatten the curve, but if we do kind of flatten the playing field in recruiting, 
I do think it'll be better for college football as a whole, and it will allow different teams to get in. So that's the first reason that I have been in favor of expansion. The second reason I'm in favor of expansion, and I never thought I'd say this, it's because of the little guy. And if you follow me and if you know my work and if you're familiar with who I am and what I do, I am not like a big proponent of like, we got to let the little guy in. Like, it's not like if, if Cincinnati had been in the college football playoff last year, they would have beaten Alabama and beaten Clemson and won the national championship. Like, that would not have happened, okay? They went to the Sugar Bowl. They lost to a, a Georgia team that wasn't even at full strength. And, but they played well. They played well. So why do I believe that we need to expand for the little guy? It is for this simple reason. It is because there is something, college football is the only sport in which you can do what you're supposed, so, so the whole point of sports, and sorry, I'm tripping over my own words, but I'm so fired up right now. So what I, so let's go back to the little guy, okay? I'm not saying that Cincinnati would have beaten Alabama. I'm not saying they would have beaten Clemson if they had gone to the playoff. But there is something kind of anti why we play sports about the little guy in college football, right? It's the only sport that I know of where you can win all your games. The whole point of sports is to win games. Remember, Herm Edwards, we play to win the game. Well, you play all your games and you're Cincinnati or UCF or Boise State or San Diego State or whoever, and you don't even get a shot at the championship? That doesn't seem fair to me. And so because of it, that's why I'm also in favor of expansion. Get all five conferences an automatic bid, get the group of five in automatic bid and give them a legitimate shot. So when all those kids buckle up their chin straps at the start of the season, they are competing for the same thing that Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson are. Are they really? Probably not in the same way that Mississippi Valley State in basketball is not competing for the same thing as Duke in basketball. But at the same time, Mississippi Valley State gets to show up in the first day of practice and say, you know what, if we do what we're supposed to do, we are going to play in the NCAA tournament. And I feel like Cincinnati, Central Florida, all of these programs should be provided the same opportunity. And last year was the first year that my opinion flipped on this. And let me explain why. It is because if you go back to last year, last year was the first time that I really actually did legitimately feel bad for the little guy. And the reason was, if you remember, in the college football playoff rankings every week, it was the first time I've ever seen where they actively tried to punish the group of five teams. And if you remember back to last year, and I remember doing this rant vividly as, as long as the day is long, whatever the old saying is, Cincinnati, they had two games canceled because of COVID back-to-back. They kept falling in the rankings every single week. They were being punished for not playing. At the same time, Ohio State, what did they play? Five games, six games in the regular season? Never dropped out of the top three, maybe the top four. The point being... The committee was going out of their way to make sure that not only was Cincinnati not going to make the playoff, they weren't even going to have the opportunity to play their way in. And so those are the two main reasons that I believe we need to expand the playoff is one, because I do think it helps level the playing field a little bit in college football. And again, it's not just an, a, a Pac-12 thing. It should, in theory, help Florida, Tennessee, uh, Georgia Tech, uh, all these teams that are trying to fight to get to the top of their conference. The second reason, the little guy. Here is my concern, though. We talk about a 12-team playoff? A 12-team playoff? Are you kidding me? I'm not a fan. I am a fan, as I said, of the eight-team college football playoff for the reason that I just said. It allows for some 
it allows for teams to get in from all over the country, small schools, big schools, whatever. But there is also sort of an exclu- exclusivity to it. Now, will you be able to argue third, fourth, fifth best team in the SEC is better than the group of five champ? Of course. Absolutely. But there is still some exclusivity to it. And my biggest concern is when you go to 12 teams, I do think it hurts the regular season a little bit. And let me explain because but I don't know why I keep saying let me explain. But let me explain. You know, I, so think about me, and you guys know this. You know I love this show. I love doing this show. I love doing radio. I, I'm, I'm very passionate, and I love sports. But I'm also a realist in that sports right now are very fragmented, and it's hard to follow all of them. You can't be a fan of – you can't be a national NHL fan and also watch the NBA and also watch college basketball and also watch Major League Baseball. and all. Like, you just can't. You don't. There's not enough hours in the day. And I bring this up – because if you if you look across sports right now, the single biggest problem that I would argue every sport other than the NFL, which is once a week, and college football, which is once a week and has the most urgency of any sport all season long, outside of those two sports, the regular season is kind of irrelevant in all these other sports. I'm watching the NBA playoffs. I'm loving the NBA playoffs. I'm having fun. I'm enjoying myself. But you can't deny that during the NBA regular season, it's really hard to get into the NBA regular season because you know, hey, it doesn't really matter if Brooklyn wins tonight. It doesn't really matter if the Lakers win tonight. When playoffs come, they're going to be one of the two best teams. They're going to be locked and loaded. Major League Baseball, same thing. There's just too many games. College basketball, you guys know I love college basketball. I'm watching Bama, Florida on a Tuesday night. I'm watching Utah State, San Diego State, late West Coast, Mountain West basketball. I'm not asking for like a pat on the back, but what I'm saying is I do it because it's my job, but I understand that you guys as normal people don't have time to do that. And so I bring this up as it pertains to college football because this is the one problem that every sport except for the NFL and college football has is how do you create urgency in the regular season? And college football does that better than anybody. And so my concern with going to a 12-team playoff is that I do think it dilutes the regular season a little bit. And I know a lot of people say, oh, they said that about the BCS. They said that about a 14 playoff. But a 12-team playoff? Yeah, it is going to dilute the regular season. Just think about it. Think back to last year's SEC championship game, Bama-Florida. Ironically, that was actually the toughest game that Bama played all year. Bama loses that game. They're probably still in the playoff. But Florida needed to win that game to make the to even be considered for the college football playoff, and they were frankly on the outside looking in because they had lost to LSU the week before. Why do I bring that up? It's because, think about it, imagine going into an SEC championship game, which is regularly probably one of the, probably frankly, the five biggest sporting events of the year outside of the NFL. Like, when you really think about ratings, the SEC championship game is right up there with the college football playoff, NBA finals, final four, in terms of fan interest and excitement. But now, if both those teams are going to get into the playoff, I don't know that people are going to be as interested in watching. Are people going to be as fired up about LSU-Bama if they know that it's only going to affect playoff seeding, but both these teams are still going to be in? Same with Ohio State, Penn State. Same with Texas, Oklahoma. Same with Al- or, uh, uh, Clemson, Notre Dame. All of these games, college football creates so much urgency. And so what I worry about with 12 teams, when you're talking about a second or third, frankly, mostly a third SEC team, when you're talking about a second ACC team, when we all know Clemson's by far the best team, why do I need to see some other crappy ACC team when I know Clemson's the best? Why do I need to see some crappy Big Ten team when I know Ohio State's the best? You go to eight, 
You have six automatic bids, the five power conferences, ACC, SEC, Big 12, Big 10, Pac-12. You give the group of five, which is the small schools, Cincinnati, whoever, a spot. And then you have two at-larges. And then if a Georgia, if Georgia and Alabama go undefeated in the regular season and one of them loses in the SEC championship game, then you put them in. If once, whatever, the point I'm trying to make, you go to 12, I do worry about the uh, sanctity of the regular season as my voice is cracking again. I'm sorry, I'm so fired up. But I will tell you this, it is going to be fascinating. What I would just say really quickly, I want to get to the Pangos stuff in a minute. Uh, but before I get to Pangos, um, you know, what I would just say is I, I do think this is going to happen. This is coming. College football playoff expansion is on the horizon. And I would just say, I'm not opposed to it. I think it's finally time. I think we need it to get other programs involved besides Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. But at the same time, I do think 12 teams is too much. Let's just stick with eight. So as I mentioned, I was at the Pangos All-American Camp on Tuesday, one of the best high school basketball events in the country. All of the best players in high school basketball that will hopefully be playing college basketball next season were there. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But before I do, I want to welcome back one of our favorite sponsors, Prize Picks and PrizePicks.com. The NBA playoffs have started, and there is no better way to enjoy watching your favorite former college basketball stars than by playing daily fantasy with our friends at Prize Picks. Prize Picks, it's daily fantasy. Like I said, you download the app, pick players. Pick a stat. Basically, Devin Booker, Michael Porter Jr., Chris Paul. Are they going to go over 22.5 points? Under 22.5 points. Are they going to go over 11 rebounds? Under 11 rebounds. That's all you got to do. Pick your favorite players. Pick their stats. Lock it in. I have loved using prizepicks.com throughout the NBA playoffs. And as a matter of fact, I'm recording here on Wednesday night. We are heading into Game 2 of Phoenix and Denver. My two plays, Devin Booker, over 44 total fantasy points, which is basically over 44 points, rebounds, and assists combined. And Michael Porter Jr., how about this? Over one assist. Yes, I think Michael Porter Jr. is going to get his teammates involved. So Devin Booker, over 44 points. Michael Porter, over one assist. Back to prize picks, which gives you the chance to win. Check this out. 10 times your money for getting four out of five predictions correct. So you log in, you pick four out of five you pick five guys. If you get four of those predictions correct, you win 10 times your money. And check this out. With the NBA playoffs underway, they have the NBA playoff jackpot, the 10K daily flex play. So four out of five predictions correct, you win 10 times your money. How about this? Log in, make five picks. You go five for five. They're going to give you 10 thousand dollars at prize picks and the prize picks apps but the only way you can be entered is with a first time deposit and you must use promo code torres so log in promo code torres go five for five first deposit you're automatically entered to win ten thousand dollars again a 100% bonus instantly for signing up up to $100. And if you get all five right, you're entered to win $10,000. That's Prize Picks or the Prize Picks app, prizepicks.com. Use promo code Torres to claim your bonus today and take your viewing to the next level as you watch these NBA playoffs. I have loved using prizepicks.com. Now, let's talk a little Pangos All American Camp. All right, everybody, uh, I am back, and I actually want to transition to a little bit of college hoops-ish type conversation. 
And I told you a few weeks ago, there is frankly not going to be a ton of college basketball to really talk about on this podcast here in the coming really weeks and months until we get a little bit closer to the season. But I told you when stuff happened that mattered to you as my audience, I'm going to bring it up and I'm going to talk about it. And so I do want to talk a little hoops because this past weekend from Sunday to Tuesday, so as of 48 hours ago, one of the best high school basketball events in the country happened, and that is called the Pangos All-American Camp. And if you're not familiar with the Pangos All-American Camp, unless you're a recruiting junkie, I don't know why you would be, It is routinely one of the best high school recruiting events in the country. It's been going on for 20 plus years. Basically, every elite high school player that has come through high school basketball has been at Pangos Camp over the last 20 years. I mean, the original camps had Russell Westbrook, James Harden, all the way through Ben Simmons, Anthony Davis, John Wall, the most recent iteration before this year, Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Paolo Banchero, who's starting his freshman year at Duke. And so it's one of the great events. It happened this week in Las Vegas from Sunday to Tuesday. And so what I want to do is just share some interesting stuff that I heard because this is not a recruit. So, so let me even explain further. One, let me tell you this. This is not a recruiting podcast. If you're looking for a scouting report on the seven foot one center from Texas, this ain't it. I'm not talking about footwork. I'm not talking about uh, spurt ability. Like I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm just going to hit on a couple of interesting things that I heard and what it means for kind of the college basketball ecosystem, if you will, going forward. Two, what I would also say is if you are into that diehard, nerdy college hoop stuff, definitely encourage you to check out Jack Pilgrim and Zach Gagon from Kentucky Sports Radio. They were both there. They absolutely crushed the recruiting coverage all weekend long, and they were talking to all the top high school players. I just kind of swooped in, kind of did my thing, talked to some people, got some information, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about now. And what I would finally say about Pangos Camp, which I do think is actually really important to the conversation, is that it is one of the few camps anywhere where NBA scouts are actually allowed. And so why is that important? It's because you now get the perspective from the high school. You obviously have the AAU, the parents that are dealing with college, but you also get that NBA perspective to kind of try and, uh, you know, kind of contextualize everything going on in the world of basketball. So what I want to do now is just give you a couple bullet points that I heard from Pango's camp. Uh, Just what happened, what you need to know, all that good stuff. The first one, it actually has nothing to do with any of the players. It was, I'll, I'll tell you this, the biggest topic at Pangos camp was the pathway ways to get to the NBA without going to college basketball basically the G League and overtime elite and specifically overtime elite was the buzz of Pangos All-American camp but not for the reasons that you think right so I thought coming in I just assumed NBA people would like pay, would, would like the overtime elite. If you forget, overtime elite, the G League is the one in which they are only taking players that have graduated high school, and they're kind of that buffer year between high school and the NBA draft where if you don't want to go to college, if you don't want to be a one-and-done, you go to the G League. What's interesting about overtime elite, however, is that overtime elite is signing high school players that are finishing their sophomores and junior years. So they're bringing them in to their facility. They're basically training them like a pro. It's through overtime, that big online YouTube, Twitter, Instagram platform. Um, And it's really pretty big. I mean, they've signed about five or six players now, uh, including two of the top sophomores in America. And they really made headlines when they did that because everyone kind of looked around and said, wait a second now, we're paying sophomores in high school $500,000 to play professional basketball? That's kind of crazy. 
But when I was when I went to Pangos, I kind of was just under the assumption that it was probably something that NBA people would like. And the reason why is pretty simple. It is because I figured NBA people would sit there and say, you know what, get these kids training. They're not going to be in school for more than one year in college anyway. Uh, let's just get them training. And if they're going to train privately and we don't have to fund it, that's fine. They don't, that'll better prepare them than playing high school basketball, going to college where you're limited in how much you can practice. But what I found was that it was the exact opposite. NBA people have just as many questions about this league, if it even makes sense, should they even be doing this, than you and I do. And before I get into those questions, what I would say is I want to be fair to both sides. One thing you know about me, I'm very opinionated, but I also try to look at everything from every perspective. And I actually met a buddy who I didn't realize, I'm not going to use his name because I don't know if he wants it out there, but I met a buddy who actually is working for Overtime Elite, and he really gave me a good rundown of what they're doing. And what I'll say is, this is a legitimate enterprise, okay? Um, this is a legitimate enterprise. They are building a facility where the players will live and train. They're going to live in basically college-style dorms. Um, you know, it's going to be kind of a college, collegial atmosphere where you have a roommate, you kind of have an RA, you're not just living in an apartment downtown. Uh, there are going to be people that are kind of responsible for you. There really is an academic component. As I said, these kids are not graduates of high school yet. I'm told they brought in real teachers from real schools and th these kids are really going to go to class. And then on top of that, I will say, I was told that all of the players do have a $100,000 stipend for postgraduate education. So you finish the program, you go to the NBA, you have a 10-year NBA career, you want to go to college, overtime is going to give you $100,000 to go that route. You don't make it in the NBA, you're 22, you're out of basketball, overtime is going to give you money. And so when my buddy laid it out, it does sound like a very interesting platform for players who are interested. What I would also say, however, is this. Even with as good as my buddy made it sound, NBA people have all the same questions you do. First of all, the NBA people want to know point blank. Like, for, first of all, they, they don't want kids going to this program, and it's really pretty simple. Are they really going to be trained better? Are they really going to be better prepared than by going to college, right? So for people who don't know, Kevin Ali is in charge of this overtime elite program. Kevin Ali, former UConn head coach. Yes, he won a national championship. He also got fired. Dave Leto is his lead assistant. Dave Leto just got fired at DePaul. And so these NBA people are like, so these guys couldn't really make it as college basketball coaches, but that's where we're going to send these kids to develop? I, I don't know if that's really the best idea. Why don't we just send them to John Calipari? Why don't we send them to Coach K for another year? Tom Izzo, Juwan Howard, Mick Cronin, maybe Hubert Davis. Hubert Davis, who played in the NBA for 10, 12 years at North Carolina. So they were just like, you know, I, if we want to develop the players the best, send them to North Carolina, send them to Duke, send them to whatever. On top of that, the NBA people had kind of the same questions that you guys do. First of all, uh, are we giving kids too much too soon? And I talked about this a few weeks ago with overtime. I'm not going to get too much into it. But essentially, NBA people are worried. Like, it's great that if you're 15 years old and you're offered $500,000 to play college, to play basketball, like, it's hard to turn down. And no one is blaming the kids for being offered that. But is it, but is it really what's best for the kids? Because think about it, these are kids now that if they get offered 500000 at 15 years old, 
imagine what they're going to be like at 22, 23, 24. I mean, the NBA people were basically saying, you know, imagine what they're going to be like by the time they get to that age when they've been getting paid so much money for so long, no sense of entitlement, things are coming basically easy to them when they're young. On top of that, something I talked about on the podcast, and I think it was very interesting to hear NBA people say it, is what happens if these guys don't develop? We all follow recruiting to some degree, and we all know that the best players as sophomores in high school oftentimes aren't the best players going into their senior year of high school or coming out of their senior year of high school. And so what happens to the players that are top 10, come in, don't grow, don't develop, get the money, whatever, and then all of a sudden they're 19, they're not gonna, they're not eligible for college, and then what happens if the NBA doesn't want them? Then what? They're 19 years old, yeah, you got $100,000 for college, but your career is basically over before it started. And so I'm not going to belabor the point. I see both sides. Talking to the people at overtime, uh, I see why kids are excited to be part of this program, but there are also real legitimate questions that I think need to be answered, and the NBA people are just as confused about overtime as you are. A couple other points. First of all, Jalen Duran, many believe, is the number one high school player in America. He was at this camp, and let me just tell you, this kid is the truth. 6'10", huge, athletic. He looks like a guy, and if you read all the reports, other people have said it, a guy that could step onto an NBA floor right now and physically compete. Would he be as skilled as as all these other seven-footers? Of course not. But physically ready to compete, he kind of reminds me, he's got that Bam Adebayo body where he's just so big, so physical, so tough. I thought he absolutely lived up to the number one, number two player in the class ranking. Uh, Just a big physical player. Credit to my buddy Jack Pilgrim, who got him on the record saying that he has three official visits set up for Memphis, Miami, and Kentucky. Those will all come in coming weeks. Also, it's been reported that Michigan is interested. He is from Philly, and Villanova might be a team that's in the mix. Also, uh, there was somebody else on blank. UCLA, I think, is trying to get in the mix. But the idea is is that it really is possible, uh, that, or, or credit to Jack, because he got the information about his college visit. I think the next logical question on him, will he ever play college basketball? What I was told by multiple people um, is that it's actually probably more likely than you think. I don't know that I would put it at 100% or anything like that, but I don't think I'd put it at 0% either. As a matter of fact, I want to give you a quote that Jalen Duran told Jack Pilgrim from Kentucky Sports Radio. He said, people automatically think, oh, they're going to offer more money. This is the pros. They're going to offer more money, so he's going to go there. I don't think like that. It's really about development for me. I try to preach that a lot. Everyone I talk to, whether it's pro or college, it's about how they're going to develop me. When I look at the money aspect, it's not really about that for me. I don't care too much about it. I mean, it's good to have, but it's not going to make the decision for me. And so why do I bring that up? It's because I think this kid is very seriously considering playing college basketball. And I think he's looking at it from the 30,000-foot view that I tell you all the time where, yes, you can go make your 500K, your 300K, your 750K, whatever, but if you're off the national radar, if nobody's watching you, if nobody knows who you are, what is the benefit of that as opposed to playing at a Kentucky, a UCLA, a Michigan, a Memphis, or whatever, where you're going to be on national TV every day? It'll be interesting to see, according to the interview that he did with Jack Pilgrim, he may even make a decision this summer, which I also think raises a question that was also brought up at camp, 
is it at all possible that he reclassifies? Now, I don't think I'm quite there in believing that he is going to reclassify. What reclassify means is that he would graduate high school this summer, play college basketball next year, because according to his birthday, he is eligible for the NBA draft uh, as early as the 2022 NBA draft, but he would have to graduate high school this year because he will turn 18 this year and he'll turn 19 next year, which would make him eligible. So when he said that he's willing to commit by the end of the summer if he likes the school, that then brings up the other dynamic of, is he coming to college this year? So it's going to be an interesting di- uh, uh, recruitment on multiple fronts. Does he actually play college? Does he take a pro route? Does, if he plays college, is it as early as this season? It is worth monitoring, but credit to Jack Pilgrim. We got some good stuff with Jalen Dern. Number three, there was a kid named Derek Lively that you just need to know. And again, this is not a recruiting podcast. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But seven foot one kid, he actually plays with Jalen Duran. And Jalen Duran said point blank, like, this is one of the toughest guys I go up against. And I go up against him every day in practice in AAU. Legitimate seven footer. What I, he kind of reminded me of a more advanced Willie Cauley Stein. But what I loved about him, he played with a huge motor, okay? And sometimes when these kids are seven feet tall, they're only playing because they're tall and they're supposed to play and it's what they're supposed to do. This kid appeared, at least on the surface, to love basketball. I love how hard he played. Uh, Just in the last couple weeks, he has really blown up as far as his recruitment. I know Duke is offered. I believe he was actually the first offer that John Shire put out there as the Duke head coach. Uh, Kentucky's offered. North Carolina's offered. So he is a very interesting prospect to keep an eye on, but I loved him. And credit to, again, Jack Pilgrim, who told me before I even got there, you got to check this guy out. And then on top of that, I had some NBA people say, hey, man, you talk about long-term upside in this class, there might not be very many that are better. Really quick, a couple other notes. One, Vanderbilt, Jerry Stackhouse. Criticized Jerry Stackhouse in the past on this Eritorious podcast. But what I will say is probably about two, three months ago, he made real waves. He got commitments from two of the top high school players in the class of 2022. So going into their senior their, their senior, their senior year this year, Noah Shelby and Lee Dort, they are teammates in Dallas. And I'll just say this. I've criticized Jerry Stackhouse. These are two kids that if he gets them on campus and if they stick with the program, they could completely elevate the program. So Noah Shelby is the first guy. He's about 6'3". He's a combo guard. He's from Dallas. He actually grew up playing with and practicing with Trey Young. So I'm not going to compare somebody to an NBA All-Star, but he has kind of that Trey Young wiggle, that Trey Young knows how to get to his spots on the floor, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but 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 he is that kind of player, really, really talented, and he was shooting the lights out in the All-American camp as far as three-point shooting is concerned. Also, the guy that played with him uh, is Lee Dort. He is a high school teammate. He's a little bit new to basketball. He's originally from Haiti, but big, athletic, great rebounder. I love the way that he competed. I love the way he had kind of a natural instinct for basketball. And so I don't think either of those guys is one and dones, but they both had offers from the likes of Memphis, Arkansas, Auburn, uh, whatever. Really good players for Vanderbilt. Really quickly, a couple other things. Uh, a couple kids Arkansas is after I really liked a lot. Darian Ford and Kellel Ware, I think is how you say the name. Uh, Darian Ford, a power guard. Uh, kind of reminds me actually of Devontae Davis, who is at Arkansas this year. Kellel Ward, again, kind of that Willie Cauley-Stein, super lanky, super athletic kind of kid. Uh, both are Arkansas kids. I've seen some buzz that Darian Ford, who won Arkansas State Player of the Year, very well could commit. I don't really know where Ware is at in his recruitment. But I bring it up to say I was really impressed by both those kids. Keontae George, five-star guard, 
really good player. Really good player, combo guard, new pace, new, you know, could change speeds, better passer than I thought. This guy is going to be kind of a Texas versus Blue Blood recruitment. I think it's going to come down to either Kentucky from the from the Blue Blood perspective, Jay Lucas, the lead recruiter there, or Texas, Chris Beard with that new staff. Scott Drew and Baylor, of course, will be a very interesting alternative given the fact that he is from Texas originally. And the last thing I'd say about Pangos All-American Camp, there was a kid named that you need to know, okay? High school class of 2025. His name's Koa Pete, okay? Um, and really good, like insane. So he was by far the youngest player there. As best I can tell, it was all players going into their senior year, just finishing their junior year, or just finished their sophomore year going into their junior year. This kid just finished his eighth grade year. Six foot eight, he's from Arizona, and you know me. I don't like to hype kids before they need to be hyped. I've said it for two years with Imani Bates. It's unfair to compare him to LeBron James. This kid was awesome. Um, he held his own. He wasn't great, but when you consider the fact that he's three years younger than most of the kids at the camp, I was really impressed. On top of that, what I would also say, he is the younger brother of Saints offensive tackle, New Orleans Saints offensive t tackle, Andrews Pete. And so I believe that he's kind of got a good kind of support system around him. It's not going to be about money. It's not going to be about this. I'm really excited to watch him develop. That is Koa Pete uh, from Arizona. But those are my big takeaways from Pangos All-American Camp. Uh, and that is it. That is it with the basketball stuff. What I want to do now is get to my buddy Phil Elson. So Phil Elson, to me, he is basically like the – I think he's, to me, like the Jay Billis – uh, Jay Billis, Dick Vitale, Kirk Herbstreit of college baseball all rolled into one. And so as a little bit of a backstory, as I told you on Monday's show, I caught the college baseball bug over the course of this weekend. I was just blown away by how exciting the sport was, how great the fans were at Ole Miss, at Arkansas, at Tennessee, uh, at Texas Tech, wherever. And so I just got really into college baseball. And so I know a lot of you are into college baseball. And so what I did was I brought on Phil Elson. He is the play-by-play -play voice of the Arkansas Razorbacks, the number one team in the country. He has seen all of the best teams, Ole Miss, Vandy, Arkansas, obviously Tennessee. And we talk, we nerd out on college baseball. And what I would say really quick is you don't have to be a college baseball fan to enjoy the interview. Um, I think at this point, when I tell you that you'll enjoy it, I think you'll enjoy it. We talk a lot about the differences between college baseball and college football and basketball, recruiting, how to build a program, uh, the rise of Tennessee baseball seemingly out of nowhere into one of the top teams in the country. And so Phil Elson, the Arkansas Razorbacks, uh, voice of Arkansas Razorbacks basketball, baseball, 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 will join me momentarily and we will nerd out on college football. Before we get out of here, before I get out of here, want to remind you of a couple things. One, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for this segment. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Let's get to Phil Elson for a nerd fest with college baseball. Okay, 
I lied a little bit. We are going to get to Phil Elson momentarily. College baseball, we are going to totally nerd out. But before we get to Phil Elson, before we get to college baseball, it is time to welcome back our favorite sponsor, and let's be honest, your lady's favorite sponsor too, Manscaped. As I told you last time, it has been a huge month in men's below-the-waist grooming as Manscaped's engineers have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for purchase in the U.S. and Canada. The new trimmer was just released a few weeks ago, and your boy Torres, one of the first people to get their hands on it, join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off your entire purchase, plus free worldwide shipping with the promo code Torres at manscaped.com. Remember, Father's Day is coming up. Ladies, what better gift to get your man than manscaped.com? It's a gift for him. Let's be honest. It's also a gift for you. Again, as I said, Lawnmower 4.0 just launched. I'm one of the first people to try it. I'm blown away by the performance. The craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are next level. Their advanced ceramic blade skin, te- skin safe technology is so good that it almost seems as if Manscaped worked with Elon Musk's engineers to ensure your family jewels are as safe as possible. Listen, fellas, we've all used the competitors, and you know how scary it is down there using the competitor. Nicks, cuts, this, that. As I said many times, I almost lost my children. I don't even have children using the competitor. Not with Manscaped. Use manscaped.com promo code Taurus for 20% off. But back to the lawnmower 4.0. So many great details. First of all, a new multi function off on switch can engage a travel lock created for people who like to travel the lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn on the 4k led spotlight on and off when you need a more precise shave speaking of a more precise shave the new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim all over through additional guard length sizes one through four that's right you're a grown man maybe you're a little embarrassed you don't want to be completely bald down there you also don't need the james harden out beard down there either don't be a slob. Don't be gross. Go to manscaped.com. Use promo code TORRES and get 20% off. Again, more on the 4.0. It's unbelievable. The optimized trimmer, and this is important, fellas, is also waterproof so you can groom in the shower. There is nothing more annoying. You're grooming. You're trying to look good for your ladies. You're trying to make her happy. Then you leave one or two hairs on the floor. What happens? Chirp, 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 chirp. You're getting yelled at. Not good. Getting yelled at. Don't have to worry about that. You know why? Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof. You can do it in the shower. You don't have to leave the bathroom floor a mess. Did I mention, by the way, wireless charging? Lawnmower 4.0, new wireless charging system, uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. If you're still trimming your face, fellas, with your below-the-waist trimmer, stop being a slob. Ladies, don't let your man be a slob. That's disgusting. He kisses you with that mouth, ladies. It's time to make some changes. Go to manscaped.com, promo code Torres, 20% off, plus free shipping on your entire purchase. Manscaped.com, promo code Torres. That's 20% off with free shipping. Use code Torres. Unlock your confidence now. And as always, use the right tools for your job with manscaped.com. And never forget, the code works for everybody. Ladies, Father's Day is coming up. It's not too late. Get your order in, manscaped.com, promo code Torres. Uh, get your father something. Get your whatever. Whoever, whoever's a special guy in your life, manscaped.com, promo code Torres. Your balls will thank you. I will thank you. Now, with that said, let's talk some college baseball. Because my boy Phil Elson, uh, as good as it is as is as good as it gets in the the business, the voice of Arkansas Razorbacks baseball, just a really 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 talented college baseball voice. We nerd out on college baseball. You're gonna love it. Uh, here is Phil Elson.
All right, joining me via Zoom, uh, America knows that over the last week or so, I have come down with college baseball fever. I almost didn't get out of bed on Saturday. It was driving. It was insane. But with the Super Regionals this weekend, I brought on a man to basically teach me everything there is to know about college baseball in about a 20, 25-minute window. So no pressure. Phil Elson, good friend of mine. He is the play-by-play -play voice of the number one team in the country going into the Super Regionals this weekend. Phil Elson, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm great, AT. I just I, I owe you this after the last five years that you've been coming on shows that I've produced and and hosted. So, you know, I, I've been uh, I've been basically making my money off your back for the last five years. So I'm just happy to help out a little bit here as you you finally caught the college baseball fever. And there's nothing quite like the college baseball postseason to get you interested in it. Well, I'll tell you, it's the truth, man. Like I, um, I, I've told this story many times, but so I went to UConn and there was basically one big college baseball game the entire time I was there. Uh, Notre Dame was really good. And ironically, UConn lost in the Notre Dame regional this weekend, neither here nor there, but I know that because I'm a college baseball guy now, but right. uh, Notre Dame had Jeff Samarja and oh, Jeff yeah. Samarja, that was fresh off the Bush push season where Jeff Samarja and Notre Dame were awesome in football. So he came, we knew his future was in baseball. So everybody went to that game. That was probably the only college baseball game that I ever attended, but I got the fever. I'm swept up in it, Phil Elson. So what I actually want you to do, I want you to start this because you are the play-by-play -play voice of the number one team in the country. You've been to all these big venues across the SEC, across college baseball. For guys like me and girls, whatever, that, that didn't grow up around college baseball, take us into what is it like to walk into the ballpark in Fayetteville, in Baton Rouge, in Starkville, the day of a big game? Because as I've quickly learned in my short time as a college baseball fanatic, uh, the, the atmospheres are incredible, especially in the SEC, where, of course, you do the bulk of your games. Well, it has that event atmosphere that football does at almost every place in college football, but not in college baseball. You know, you go to games at LSU, Mississippi State at Duty Noble Field, at, uh, at Ole Miss, at, uh, at Swayze Field, and certainly at Baum Walker in Fayetteville, Founders Park in South Carolina. Right now in Knoxville, in Tennessee, it's going bonkers for this baseball program that, they've, that Tony Vitello has put together. Um, it's... The, the, it's it's you got to get there early you know i mean really i mean right now you better line up outside baum walker if you want to get into that big hog pen in left field that big berm because people have been camping out there since the end of monday's game i mean that is the kind of that is the kind of uh of um craziness the level of craziness that that, that college baseball fans have and i don't say that in a negative way because they truly love their programs and and their and, and the atmospheres that they themselves create. So if like, if you were to walk into Ballmarker stadium on any one of these games, first of all, you're going to get there early, probably while the guys are hitting and you're going to be amongst a sea of red. Like if the a North Carolina state fan, I know they have red, it's maybe a little bit of, of a different color. They will truly feel outnumbered in every sense. And it's gotta be intimidating. You know, our fans bring flags, they have traditions where the bases are loaded. They put these beer hats on their heads. They have, uh, they have chant. They call the hogs like sometimes 55 games times during a game. Whenever the pitcher, the pitching coach or manager goes out to the mound to make a pitching change or talk with the pitcher, they call the hogs. It's just, 
It's um, it's unique. And and so like that, if you feel like Aaron, like you're being introduced to college baseball right now, like I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I, I didn't even know Pitt had a baseball team like and, and I'm a Pitt fan. I love Pitt football and Pitt men's basketball. I didn't and I love baseball, but I was a Pirates fan. You know, nobody knew Pitt had a baseball team. And now this year they like just, you know, everybody, not everybody, but a bunch of people in Pittsburgh were all upset that Pitt got screwed out of out of a bid. They were one of the last teams out. Yeah, they had their bubble burst. Um, So I've been a complete convert to this because it's intoxicating to be in these in the atmosphere of these games where like, you know, the intensity of what an SEC football game is like, you know, the intensity of what an SEC basketball game is, is like, okay, they play 30 SEC regular season baseball games. This is the longest sport or the most games that are played in college sports in a single season. They play 30 games in this league. The intensity of these games for 10 weeks is off the charts and the crowds match the intensity of the games and and the players sort of raise their game a little bit because of how jazzed up everybody is. It's just, I mean, I'm getting, my arms are getting my hair on my arm is raising, just talking about it. I can't, I love this. So you, so how long have you been the play-by-play voice for Arkansas for, for baseball? I know you do, you do women's basketball as well. How long have you been the baseball guy? And did you have any context of what it was like before? Like, I don't, you're my buddy, but I don't know enough about your background. Like, had you been to sec baseball games? And then when you got the call, call up to, to be the Arkansas guy, you realized how big it was, or it wasn't until that first big series that you realized, wow, this is a different animal altogether. Well, well, Aaron, my introduction to Arkansas was coming here to work for the double a team in little rock, the Arkansas travelers that then in 2001, when I moved here was the affiliate of the angels. And I worked for them for 14 years doing their games. And, uh, and I come from much more of a professional baseball background where it's a day-to-day thing. You spend literally hours at the ballpark working for the team and, and um, it's a different culture. Uh, my introduction to college baseball was filling in for Chuck Barrett, who used to do the broadcasts and, and had picked up football and men's basketball too. And so in February and March, there were some conflicts. He couldn't do baseball they asked me to come in and start filling in on, on a, you know, a very temporary basis. So like my first introduction to college baseball, to be quite honest, was the first game I sat there at Baum Walker with Chuck and filled in with him. And then he had to leave after the fifth inning to fly with the men's basketball team to Auburn. And uh, I was lucky because they, they flew, I flew with them to San Diego state. This would have been 2011. They played a four game weekend wraparound series against san diego state they were managed by or coached you can tell i have a professional baseball background because we say manage in professional baseball in college it's head coach tony gwynn was the head coach of that team and that was i mean tony freaking gwynn give me a break i took the opportunity to go down and interview tony gwynn for the tra- for a traveler's broadcast that I would just air later on. And I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this, but that also was really the chance that I had to get close to the program and get to know the coaches a little bit. I really loved the way they coach the game and teach the game and the way the players play it. And the guys that play it now for this 2021 team play the game very much the same way that the 2011 team did just very gritty. All of Dave Van Horn's teams play that way. And, and I just sort of, you know, for the next two years, two, three years, I would fill in and 
would pay more attention to them. And I was still doing travelers baseball. Um, and then Chuck decided to give up baseball for, for, you know, reasons. And I thought, man, this, that was a lot of fun. People go to those games. There were 11,000 people there. You're on more stations. There's more ears. The games feel like they matter more wins and losses feel like they matter more. Uh, and, and I was ready for a change. So, uh, I put in for it. I got it. And it's the best, it's really the best career decision I've made because it's led to some of my most memorable moments that I've seen in person. Some of my favorite moments on the air. It's led to one of my favorite relationships I've had on the air with Bubba Carpenter, my color analyst, and has led to the talk show that I host now that you come on with. So, you know, it's all a roundabout way to say um, I had no clue what I was getting into the first time I stepped into a college baseball park, but it happened to be the best place to do it at Baumwalker Stadium for somebody that has more of a professional baseball background because they play the game with a bit of a professional air. They play it with joy. The college, the college baseball should be played with, but there's a little bit of, um, of, uh, of a professional attitude to the way they run the program and the way they play the game. So the, and that perfectly leads to my next question because I told a buddy that I, I was having you on and, you know, I was going to talk college baseball and I know nothing about college baseball. And he brought up something that to everyone that is listening to this interview is common knowledge. I knew it, but I forgot it. And that's that most of the players that play college baseball are not on scholarships. So what is it? 11.5 scholarships per team or something like that, or you're so close. Ahead. It's 11. It's 11.7. That is, that is the number. If you say 11.7, to any college baseball fan, like you don't even have to refer sure. to what 11.7 is. They know what you're talking about. That so, is the bane of existence in college baseball is 11.7. So then let me ask you, how do you go about building a great college baseball program? Because this isn't Nick Saban that can just stack five star on five star on five star. Um, and, you know, the SEC, obviously, we know the, the resources and the financial commitment behind, uh, you know, behind a lot of these programs. But what goes into building a great college baseball program? Because it's something I've always been fascinated about. There's the element of the elite high school players can go pro straight out of high school. So you recruit a kid and he doesn't even show up on campus. So mm -hmm. for the fourth time, because I've asked it three times already, what goes into making a great college baseball program? You cast a wide net for your talent. And I feel like, you know, this, the conversations that we've been having about the transfer portal sure. for college football and college basketball, college baseball coaches have kind of already been yep. operating like that for a while. You know, they consistently dip into the Juco ranks consistently. And just like you're saying, I mean, you know, you can have a highly touted incoming freshman class get completely decimated by the Major League Baseball draft, and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, and let me you jump can't in. Offer the, the, yeah, they, they don't sign their contracts sometimes until right before school starts, too, right? So you could have a kid thinking you're coming July, mid-July, whatever, and they'll sign end of July, August, play short season, whatever, and never show up. On, is that accurate? Well, the window is closed a little bit, but okay, all, okay. a lot of that has to do now with when the draft is being held and the draft is being held a month after it usually had been before. So in that case, yes, they're going to be facing that at least this next year. I don't know what, what time the draft will be held next sure. year, um, but this year that is, that is an issue. So, you know, you have this great incoming class. It can be decimated by the draft. You can't offer really extra money or anything other than the program that they committed to when they decided to commit, but <coughs> 
That's the that's the major difference. I mean, now you're getting a little bit of that in college basketball because of some of these upstart leagues and kids yep. can go to the G League now. And it just is another option for being a professional. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Baseball has been like that for years. Um, it's just been a different pipeline because it's been con- the, the, the pipeline to the majors has been controlled by the majors. Um, now it's very interesting to see that major league baseball doesn't really want as many players in the pipeline as they've had before. Interesting. So they, they already were going to lower the number of rounds in the draft. The pandemic then cut the draft last year to five. I don't, I don't even know if they've said what it's going to be this year, but it's not, it used to be 40 heck. It used to be unlimited. Now I think it's just going to be a 20 round draft. There's fewer teams. There's fewer jobs. I feel like they've, they've, uh, seeded a little bit of the player development to younger players to college baseball. And part of that, and this goes to how you, you're asking how you build a program. Well, you got to get the right kind of players. You got to cast an amazingly wide net and feel lucky at times that somebody might slip through or that they just want the experience of playing college baseball. And you built a relationship with them where you feel like they're going, you know, they feel that they're going to get better and maybe financially it's a better decision for them later down the line. You have to have the right facilities and the SEC is light years ahead, I think, than than most of the other leagues. Uh, and and they are learning, they are learning through technological advances, stuff that no college players have ever learned before with with uh, with and it's stuff that will help them as they go as they go further through uh, in, through through minor league baseball and up to the major leagues. So, I mean, you got to get your facilities up to a certain level and, and, and that Dave Van Horn tells me it's just really, and now it's about keeping that pipeline coming in. It's the lifeblood of any, of any athletic program, you know, Aaron is, is recruiting, but I feel like there's none that is quite as inexact as baseball because of the allure of the bonus, the allure of playing professional baseball and and, and that you can't offer them full scholarships. Very interesting. By the way, how is Vanderbilt so good? La, la, and I want to get to the Super Regionals, but like Vanderbilt sticks at everything. And they're just this power in baseball. How, did, how does that come about? No, I'm not sure exactly like the, the equation that they are able to operate out of, but I think they fund the baseball program a little bit differently Ooh. because of the need-based scholarships uh i mean you still gotta be you still gotta be a really bright kid to get into vanderbilt yes. no matter what um you know but there's also there's also inequities like i'll give you for instance arkansas has a little bit of an advantage for in-state kids because there's a there's a lottery scholarship system in arkansas where the the, the whole lottery across the state funds scholarships for kids across the state that can get tacked on to the athletic scholarship the 25 percent they might get there's other states that don't have that you know, I think Alabama doesn't have that. There's a bunch of others. So, you know, but the, the, the Vanderbilt thing is completely different because the, I think it feels like they're able to fund the team differently than most others. Stanford, Ooh. perhaps, you know, the Wake Forest, perhaps other, but that doesn't automatically make you a national champion. So I think Tim Corbin's a terrific coach. You know, he, they, they play a really hard-nosed brand of baseball and man, he just has been bringing great players in all the time. Very good. So what would you say? So super regionals for people who are, you know, new to college baseball, like me, best of three series, eight series, the winners go to the college world series in Omaha. 
what is the storyline going into this week? And it could be on the local scale with you guys. Uh, of course, Phil is the play-by-play voice of Arkansas. They're playing NC State, three-game series starting Friday. Um, and what, what, what do you believe to be the biggest story of this Super Regional weekend? Well, for for me, it's 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 number one Arkansas trying to trying to get to a College World Series and become the first number one seed to win it since 1999. Oh, wow. People will talk about a number one seed jinx. I don't buy into jinxes very much, um, but there is something to be said about the last what is that 22 number one overall seeds have not won the College World Series. The the, the key storyline is that is how many how many innings do they need does Arkansas need out of Kevin Copps? And can their offense, can their lineup produce the way that they're known to? And they really haven't for the last couple of weeks through the SEC tournament and the regional too. They've won their games more through pitching and some late hitting uh, and power hitting in that Monday regional final against Nebraska. Um, The other one, and and this is my favorite series of this weekend is going to be Tennessee LSU because, because it's like always now we get, we get at least one. SEC versus SEC super regional because the, the, the this league really is that good in college baseball it's nuts when you think about it Aaron like we'll talk about the SEC is the best in college football that's because Alabama is Alabama like that's Alabama and everybody else it, 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 the SEC in college baseball is light years ahead of everybody else and I think they'll get four teams into the college world series but that Tennessee LSU one is just so thick with storylines the teams don't like each other tennessee Ooh, swept lsu like in knoxville this year why don't they well like that's each because well there that so the, now now arkansas played at tennessee this year so i've seen the the burst in interest and intensity at that stadium like the last time i visited lindsey nelson stadium the home of tennessee baseball would have been 2017 they weren't very good that year there weren't a lot of people there. It wasn't the most exciting place on earth. When we went there at the near the end of the SEC regular season this year, oh my God, it was like a totally different ballpark. Tony Vitello has built that team and program legit, and they love it there. They love it there because they're so thirsty for a winner because Tennessee hasn't really won in very many things uh, since uh, since Pat Summit was was coaching there. But um, you know, Paul Maneri, the head coach of LSU, wasn't very complimentary towards the Tennessee fans, I think at the end of that series. Uh, and, and since then, I mean, he re- announced his retirement a week ago. He's a legendary coach. He's got a national title at LSU and, and built Notre Dame at one point into a top notch program and his players are fighting for him much in the same way. It felt like uh, coach Martin's players did with Florida state in 2019, you know, when they got him there one more time and he'd announced his retirement. So I wouldn't count out LSU, although they, they, they don't, I don't think they quite match up with, uh, with Tennessee. That's my favorite storyline is that, is that one. But the other aspect is also, you know, how many SEC teams get in? Uh, I'm picking four. Uh, nobody should be discounting the Texas Longhorns because that team is frighteningly good right now. They've got everything you need to make a real push, not just through the, through the Super Regional against South Florida, uh, but through the College World Series, and there is a very good chance if Arkansas plays there, the, the kind of baseball I saw them play in Hoover, that you could end up with an Arkansas-Texas championship series, which I actually think might cause this state here to melt into the earth. 
The old uh, Southwest Conference rivals, baby. Let's go. Um, real quick, so so what has led to this Tennessee resurgence? Because, you know, I just casually follow on social media, and, and I, I've known Arkansas is good for years. I've known a little bit about LSU's history. I know about Mississippi State. I've kind of partly seen that documentary about, like, Rafael Palmero or whatever. Uh, but Tennessee, like, you know, even – you know, the friends that I have that are UT fans. And by the way, watch out for those mentions after you said Tennessee hasn't been good in a while. They, they might come in on fire uh, when this thing pops tomorrow. But, you know, I'm what, ready what, for it. Yeah. What has is it, is it simply the coach? Um, because I've watched from a distance. I, I can see the excitement in the fan base. I, I can say genuinely I'm happy for the fan base. They've been through a lot of crap, especially with that football program. Uh, but but what has led to this Tennessee resurgence? Because I know even even as a guy who's who's only been a diehard here for ten days, I know how special the season has been in Knoxville this year. They hired the right coach. It is as simple as that. It really is. You know, blue bloods only stay blue bloods when they bring in the right coach. And sometimes programs that have been dormant for fifteen years make the right decision. They're in the right league, and they catch fire by the tail. And Tony Vitello is fired by the tail, man. He really is. He's a great talent um, evaluator. He's been a pitching coach at Mizzou. He's been a hitting coach at Arkansas. He knows every aspect of the game. He's incredibly energetic. I feel like his players would run through a wall for him. Now the fans would too. Um, and, and, and look, it's interesting because Tony was the lead recruiter at Arkansas and the head hitting coach here and, and was one of the reasons that they got to the 2015 College World Series and, and had a really good run there. And he's also one of the reasons that they got to the 18 and 19 College World Series because some of his players that he'd helped recruit here were still there. The recruiting is still actually taking a bit of a step up since he left. And that's not to say that he did a poor job. He didn't. He did a great job. He actually, I think, re helped raise the program to where they're getting more, more, more power, better players overall. So it's... It is Tony. It is Tony Vitello. Players want to play for him. Players want to play for him. And it's an interesting idea to get those guys to go to Tennessee because they don't have the facilities. They don't have the ballpark that LSU, that Arkansas, that Mississippi State have. And it doesn't that's not to say that they can't just really haven't put the money into it. But I feel like they know that Tony Vitello is a very popular thought out there for other programs and they need to put their best foot forward financially towards him probably and towards the program overall to keep him and college baseball is in a place where it's sort of not a sort of I mean it's it's getting much pop more popular than it ever has been before and uh, Tennessee's got an opportunity and you once you catch fire by the tail if you let go of it it's tough to catch that comet again so I, you know they just need Danny White to be smart about it. Well, it's interesting. I was going to end with with two hot seat uh, uh, college baseball coaching carousel questions because I'm obsessed with the coaching carousel as well. Um, by the way, I got it on good authority that TCU's coach was going to A&M last weekend. Could have broken it. No big deal. But, you know, you know how I worked the beat really hard. But anyway, I really did. Somebody was like, yeah, you know, A&M's getting TCU's coach. I'm like, yeah, sure. Whatever. So sure. that was yeah, sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was actually going to be one of my, my final few questions, Phil, is. So Tennessee, I think they're number three or four in the country, whatever. And I have been, you know, following more closely than I ever have. And, and it is like a topic of conversation with LSU being open. I think Florida was or is open. AM was open that he might actually leave. Now, 
I've been following college sports for a very long time. I don't really ever remember um, an SEC team losing a coach that they wanted to keep, except like maybe James Franklin. And that was because, again, it was like Vandy football. It's um, different. That's a different situation. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So so just take the dumb guy. And I'm guessing anyone that's listening cares and probably knows more than I do. But like, is there a chance that he could leave? And is it just simply that they haven't invested the way that they need to? And they're going to have to up their game, not only from like a salary perspective, but also from a, a just a facilities and everything standpoint to keep him? Because I, as an outsider, I'm looking at it like you are or I'm looking at it like a, a, a fan of football or basketball, where it's like when you get that coach, you do everything you can to keep him. I think Tennessee has already pledged to him some more money and to upgrade facilities as best as they can. Um, and it looks like the rumors are Kendall Rogers from D1Baseball.com has reported earlier today that Pat Casey, who's a three-time national champion. That's my second coaching carousel question. Come on, man. That, that's, that's the other one. Pat Casey at Oregon State apparently is, is interested and might be a front runner for the LSU job, which would be crazy to think about. Like, look at what LSU did with women's basketball, bringing yes. in a three-time winning national natty winner with Kim Mulkey, and they might bring in a three-time natty winner with Pat Casey and pull him out of a short retirement. But usually the way like coaches, head coaches in baseball in the SEC don't leave the SEC. They just coach a different team in the SEC. That's happened a number of times uh, because there aren't any other leagues that have money committed towards baseball the way that this league does in a number of the locations. Um, and the facilities and the fan bases are out of their minds. So, and, and, and Tennessee knows that. Tennessee knows that very well. Um, you know, LSU, I think, I don't know if you're, if you're, if you are LSU and Tony Vitello is available, I don't know how you don't try for him. If something happens in Florida with Kevin O'Sullivan, I don't know why you wouldn't try to go get Tony Vitello. But on the other hand, what Tony's caught at Tennessee also is, you know, like a comet by the tail on his end. Like he he's got something special there right now. He has a really good team. And I know he's going to recruit well because he just does. So I, I just expect, I kind of expect he's going to stay there. Like I watched him go through the stands after Tennessee won their regional high-fiving fans and everything. I just don't look, I don't think that's a coach that looks like he's leaving. I felt the same about like all the fans at Arkansas that were nervous about all the other college basketball openings thinking Muss is going to leave him. Like, did, did you watch him? Have you watched him? <laughs> how much he loves this area and this team and this program and everything. And sure, they got to give him a raise. And they did like, don't worry about it. You can tell when a coach truly loves where they are and knows that they're at a place where they can achieve something truly special. And you can do that with Arkansas men's basketball. You can do that with Arkansas baseball and you can do that at Tennessee too. That leads to my second coaching carousel question, which is really a two-part question. When I saw that Kendall Rogers, uh, who is basically the woge of college baseball, tweeted about uh, tweeted about Pat Casey. So Pat Casey, three-time national championship at Oregon State, uh, three-time champion. I mean, as 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 America's foremost college baseball expert for the last few days, I was blown away because so he retires. Um, I guess you know they, I think they won the championship against Arkansas. Sorry, Arkansas fans listening. Uh, he steps away. Um, so two questions, like, like, do you think this will happen? 
And if so, is this guy just the Urban Meyer of college baseball? Just, yeah, no, I'm retiring. I, I, got, I got some things going on. It's, it's about the family, family first. And then he's just bailing for Baton Rouge two days later, two years later, right. whatever. The only difference is I don't think Pat Casey will try his hand at Major League Baseball. Like okay. Herb's going to try with, uh, with, uh, with Jacksonville. It just never happens like that. But yeah, I mean, it kind of is. You know, is the, 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 the circumstances around his retirement at Oregon State made me uh, feel like I don't, I don't think he was ready to retire. I mean, he was in his late 50s. Uh, like, I, and I th- to me, he seems like a baseball man who, who is a lifer. And I don't know. It just felt like an odd retirement. So sure. I, I'm not really surprised to see that that he's might be interested in LSU. Heck, I mean, there used to be rumors that he was going to come back and take over Oregon State again. But when LSU comes calling, I mean, that's they 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 they've got tons of money for baseball there. And, and it'd be it would be a total opposite thing from what he had at Oregon State, at least in terms of size of the ballpark. Um, and the expectations would be about the same. But the pressure is a little bit different in Baton Rouge just because of the bigness of the program. Well, so let me jump in there because when I tweeted about this big breaking news, um, I, I, I did have some people in the mentions, uh, oh, uh, it's a lot different uh, coaching in the Northwest than it is in the SEC. Um, is that like SEC fan bias? Do you? I, I mean, obviously, look, the day-to-day grind is going to be different like it is with SEC football, like it is, frankly, that's where we're getting with SEC basketball, ACC basketball, whatever. Uh, is there any reason to believe that a three-time national championship winning coach would not also have success in the SEC? Because, yeah, it's it's like a big headline, but I did have the I did have the SEC fans saying it wasn't going to work out, and you know, West Coast baseball is soft, and all the typical SEC uh, SEC uh, social media jargon there. So, I don't know. I mean, I was pretty impressed with that 2018 Oregon State team. There was nothing sure. soft about them. They've already got like two guys in the big leagues for crying out loud. That was a great team. He knows talent. He's coach talent. You don't forget any of that. Doesn't matter what league it is. Um, some of that is SEC bias. Some of that is also truth. The SEC is just more difficult. It is week in, week out, a more difficult league. Uh, it's not to say, look, Pac-12 baseball is really good. It is really good. But there's not as much of a spotlight on it as, as baseball is in the SEC. And there just aren't as many People at the games, fans that are paying heavy, heavy attention to everything. I mean, LSU baseball, they're going to be carving up every pitching change that is made. I mean, much in the same way that that every call made by the Alabama offensive coordinator is going to be parsed up. That's how much the attention is on it. That's different than an Oregon state. It's not to say he can't deal with it. It's not to say that that, you know, that the that the talent is really that much different. It's just a different kind of a pressure cooker. That's all. Sure. Very good. I, I feel like we've barely talked about, you know, the Arkansas Razorbacks, the team that you cover. Like, <laughs> I mean, I didn't want us to turn into like an Arkansas baseball preview, but you guys are the number one team in the country. Uh, so let's just wrap. Hogs, I mean, d- does this I, – I know when after the game on Monday night, uh, you know, you beat Nebraska. Ra- it wasn't really a rally to win, but you were down early, come back, whatever – um does it feel different this year i mean number one team in the country first of all for people that are just tuning into college baseball for the first time what can they expect from the number one team in the country arkansas 
And then two, does it feel any different? I don't want to put any pressure on you. I don't want to put any jinxes on the team, but uh, how excited are you, the fan base, whatever, because it does seem like there's definitely some excitement in the air. Well, they, they love this team. They love the program here. And that's, that's been a long time coming. And, and uh, the, uh, this team, what makes this different, Aaron, is that they are number one and have been almost the entire season. And, and they've never been at that position before. This program hasn't, you know. Every team's different, so it's not like these guys, uh, you know, really play to that. Uh, and, they've, and, and the pressure has never gotten to them because I don't ever see them playing like pressure affects them. You know, that might have happened a little bit over the regionals. I don't know if it was pressure or or at, at one point playing down to the level of competition against New Jersey Tech. Um, you know, they haven't necessarily swung the bats as, as well as they can for the last couple of weeks, but um, it is a really difficult lineup to pitch to. It really is. They will grind you down. And, and they have six to seven guys in that lineup that have come up with huge games, huge weekends over and over again. It's been somebody, somebody, uh, they're really good in the field. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They make every batter earn whatever base hit they get because I don't know anybody that's any better than Casey Opitz catching and Robert Moore second base and Jalen Battle shortstop and Christian Franklin in center field. And then the other thing that is different about this team this year and probably more different than about any other baseball team I've ever seen is Kevin Copps and what he is doing pitching in relief, giving them starters innings, uh, shoving the ball down great lineups throats over and over again with a magic pitch that nobody can quite describe uh, and doing it in such a quiet, unassuming way. Um, it's incredible. He has a chance, Aaron, to set the school record for wins and saves in the same year. Wow. He leads them in innings. Relievers don't lead you in innings. He hasn't started a single game this year. He's not going to start because why would you change it? There isn't a single pitcher I can imagine in the history of this sport that has affected more games this than Kevin Copps has this year. And, and he's what makes this team different than any other team I've ever watched, which includes all the Arkansas teams and every other college baseball team that's ever existed. I don't think anybody's had a unicorn like Kevin Copps. Got me fired up. I mean, I watched the game on Monday where, I mean, you know, and, uh, you know, still a little new to the sport, but I, what was it? The second inning that he came in the third inning. And I was like, so what do you got? And he had pitched on Friday, I believe. And so I was like, so what do you got out of this guy? Like two innings two, you know, three tops. And, and there it was ninth inning and he was closing out the game. So Aaron, he, had, uh, he had pitched, he had pitched on Friday. He had pitched on Saturday, four innings and then throws the seven innings on Monday. Wow. And he threw 90 pitches on Monday, which is the most he's thrown in his career. He threw 185 pitches over that weekend. Wow. Did not give up a run. And his 185th pitch, you wouldn't have been able to tell the difference between that one and his ninth. He gets stronger as he keeps throwing. And that's what I mean. Like, you know, there, statistically, he's a unicorn because of the games he's affected. But physically, he's he's incredible. I don't know how you can throw that many pitches over a weekend and, and look better on your last pitch than you might have on your first. It's, it defies belief. 
Defied Belief Monday when I was I was locked in. But Phil Elson, uh, you can listen to him. Uh, well, first of all, you can listen to him on halftime. Can, on Fridays, I'm on the show with him. But also, that's ESPN Radio Arkansas. Uh, also, the play-by-play voice of the Arkansas Razorbacks. Follow him on Twitter, at ElsonPXP, which is play-by-play. Dude, this was fun, man. This was, like, was. literally, honestly, one of the most informative uh uh, you know, like the way that people look at me weird when I'm just like, oh yeah, that, uh, that transfer guard from UMKC, like, I like how he's going to fit in next year at Georgia. Like that, that was me when you're like, yeah, you know, uh, when Vitello was the, uh, uh, strength coach here, like that really just launched the thing to there. And I'm like, holy, you know, but it's, it, you know, it's its own ecosystem. And the one thing I will say, I genuinely have enjoyed the tournament, uh, you know, I kind of started tuning in when my Huskies were playing, and then I kind of just caught the bug and was watching a little Central Connecticut, a little Fairfield, a little Arkansas, a little Tennessee, a little whatever. Uh, but I've genuinely enjoyed it. Uh, as you said, it, it feels like it's never been more popular than it than it is. And I don't know if it's just me being the college sports guy, but it feels like even on my social media timelines, more people are talking about the baseball than they are NBA playoffs and all that stuff. So it's it's an exciting time. It's fun. And my final question if the hogs advance and I'm not putting any pressure on them, will you come, come and do a college world series preview here in a couple of weeks in next week or so? I mean, come on, man. I mean, okay. is water wet or of am course. I, do, do we ask a stupid question on halftime every once in a while? I mean, come on, yes. of course I will. Of okay. course I will. And Dude. I would, uh, I would, I would plan. So I know everybody would also tell you, and hopefully we'll get into this maybe the next, next week, if Arkansas wins. You know, everybody wants to tell you where, where you need to go for this and that, for this experience and that experience, you know, and if you're, if you're going to be a real convert in a college baseball, like I have turned into in the last seven years, you have to experience Omaha and the college world series. There truly isn't anything like it. It is, uh, you, you will, uh, you will, you won't just be a convert. You'll be a lifer from that moment on. Well, I will tell you. Uh, somebody tweeted at me that I have to get to the the hog pen, which is, you know, where, yeah. where the magic happens at uh, Arkansas games. And I was thinking two things. One, with no disrespect intended for Coach Muss and his staff, I think I want to get to a baseball game in Arkansas more than I do a basketball game. But two, I got to do the SEC uh, Southern Swing here at some point mm-hmm. because the, the the baseball tour, I should say, because uh, it's it's been it actually was a lot of fun watching the Ole Miss fans throw the beer in the cup, the uh, beer in the air, and uh, you know, like I said, uh, I, I know the history of Mississippi State. I've seen the highlights from Tennessee. I've seen the highlights from Arkansas. So don't want to you know don't don't want to put the cart before the horse here. But who knows? Maybe down the road there will be an opportunity. But Phil, thank you for the time, man. It was fun. We'll talk. Knock on wood. You and I will talk on Friday, but yeah, we'll hopefully talk Friday, like always. Knock on wood. Uh, we'll talk uh, next week as well. All right. Thank you for the time. All right. It's a pleasure, AT. Always appreciate you. You're the best. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. 
Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.